Hello everyone, how are you? That's good to hear. Now, just to share a little bit more about me, or I think a bit more accurately, I've been doing youth ministry for about 10 years, not more than 10 years. Um, and that's actually how long I've known Pastor Jay for. Um, it's actually, um, now's our 11th year. So we used to be good friends until he broke the news that he was leaving our church and joining you guys. Uh, you know him as Pastor Jay Lee, but that's how he was formerly known. Uh, in Yongnak, he's called uh, Jadis Lee Scariot, uh, affectionately named after Judas Iscariot, uh, because he betrayed. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a very clear communicator of the gospel, so uh, our loss is actually your gain. Um, so I'm actually quite excited to see how God will work in FLM. Uh, I'd like to share a word now, so can we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come knocking at this moment. We ask for the provision of your spirit, for the unfolding of your word, that our eyes may be open to see the wondrous things in your law. May you fill this servant with grace and truth, so that he may speak it, and may your goodness rest upon your people here. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, let me share a story with you. Uh, more than 150 years ago, there was a philosopher called Soren Kierkegaard, and uh, he shared this peculiar parable, and I want to share it with you today. There was, a, there was a town, and all of its citizens were ducks. Now, in this duck town, there was also a duck church. So come Sunday, all these ducks waddled to the duck church. They all sat in their duck pews, and the duck pastor waddled up to the duck pulpit and he opened up his duck Bible, his duck bill, and started to proclaim about a gift that the Lord had given these ducks. The pastor proclaimed, my fellow ducks, look down to your left. What do you see? Look down to your right. What do you see? Now, what you are witnessing right now before you are wings. Now, with wings, we ducks can fly. We can soar like the eagles in the sky. We can escape the confines of pens and fences with these wings and experience the utter euphoria of unfettered freedom. So as he was preaching, the ducks were flapping their wings in excitement. The atmosphere was on fire. And they said with one voice at the end, Amen. It was a good day for the ducks, for they come to know that they've got wings and they could fly. And so all the ducks turned around and they walked out of the church and they looked to the sky and they waddled all the way home. How disappointing. It's a bit of a frustrating conclusion. Why waddle when you could fly? It must become clear that this parable was actually an indictment to the church of his time. It is a reflection of many Christians 150 years ago, how their faith did not translate. The amens that they said in the church did not translate into practice. Now, it's a remarkable thing how easily that happens even, to, even today, in the worst sense of the word. Now, today I want to look at one important practice that we cannot fail at which is prayer. Now, the passage today is short and sweet, and it begins like this. Actually, I'll read the whole passage first. And it's like this. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now which, of, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And it begins like this, again. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Now this verse alone functions already as three things. It's a description, firstly. It's a prescription, and it's a promise. And in verse 8, it is backed up by a principle. So let's look at what this is describing here first. Here we have three actions. Ask, seek, and knock. These are three different verbs, but are expressions of what prayer can look like or is likened to. Now, I've heard many times prayer being explained simply as this, as a conversation with the Lord, particularly to new believers. But you and I know that prayer is so much more, can be so much more. Now, that might be offered as a starting point, but we know that prayer is more. Prayer, as described in this verse, is a form of asking, it's a form of seeking, it's a form of knocking. We ask with our voices, we seek with our eyes, and we knock with our hands. So if we look at the heroes of prayer of the past, we can quickly find out that prayer often turned into a full body experience. They would get on their knees and stretch out their hands to pray. Some would pray intensely, so in their hearts that their lips would move, but no sound be made. Some cry out for hours, and our Lord once prayed till he sweat some blood. Prayer seems simple, but as most simple things, it's not easy. Because the spirit, although is willing, the flesh is weak. Now, prayer requires grit, endurance, because this verse is not telling us, ask once. It's not actually telling you, ask once and you'll be given it's not seek once and it will be, you will be, you'll find it. It's not go to the door and knock once and the door will be opened. Actually, it is a repeated action. Now, how do I know this? It's because in Luke's gospel, we find a parallel teaching. It recounts this very teaching with a preface. It's prefaced with a scenario and it goes like this. Suppose you have a friend, this is Jesus speaking, you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers him, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you a thing. I tell you, even though, Jesus talking, even though I will tell him, even though he'll not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless persistence, he'll surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and you will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Word for word. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. And I prefer the NLT translation. For it says, 
Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Don't just ask once and walk away. Keep asking. Don't just look once. Look again. Seek till you find, seek till you find it, and plant your feet at the door of heaven, knocking till it opens. Dig your heels in the place of prayer. Now, this is what prayer can often look like. Now, secondly, we see a prescription to pray, meaning it's an imperative that we do pray in this manner of continual, incessant, enduring, annoying, and earnest prayer. Now, I feel like we, well, I, I forget this frequently. I look at my spiritual walk, and sometimes when I sense something is lacking, perhaps it's maybe wisdom, strength, love, or any of, any of that sort, I naturally want to confide in, in another human, in another person, which is, which is not wrong. It's a good thing. But all the time, our conversations with, will conclude with, I think we need to pray. But there is a verse in the book of James that hits me differently each time. You do not have because you do not ask. It's very simple. If you don't have, it's because you didn't ask. The fact that Christ is commanding us to pray means he wants us to pray. It's, it's more than an invitation. Now, some people might be deterred from this description that I'm giving you about prayer because to get to the answer of prayer, there is a process. But in the case of prayer, the journey is as important as the destination. Now, what do I mean by this? Something begins to happen when you begin to pray. You're not just burning time. God uses the process of prayer to shape you. Now, depending on how you receive commands, it will actually change the way you walk with the Lord. If you try and just obey it simply because it's a command, you become a religious person. But if you obey because you understand what it does in our lives, then you will become a spiritual practitioner. Which leads to my third point about this verse. What is it that we should understand about this verse? Is that this verse is a promise. It sounds to me that Jesus isn't just giving the word of God, but he's giving his word. It's, it's a promise. I'm giving you my word that if you do this, this will be the result. We should rest assured in the fact that Jesus can't lie. We can know that it is a promise by the utter confidence and assurance with which he speaks. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's a very confident statement. And as one of my favorite preachers would say, he says this, prayer makes things happen. Now, this is backed up by a principle in verse 8. It says this, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. It's not only a spiritual principle, but it's a principle of life. A general rule, not to some people, not to an elite group, not to just elders or deacons, but it's talking to everyone. For everyone who asks receives. We can have a measure of confidence when we go to the place of asking, seeking, and knocking. 
We can be confident that our prayer does something. Be confident that you are not wasting your time. Be confident that there is someone listening to your prayers, watching you. Now, what does this all mean or also mean? Am I saying if we pray long enough for anything in the world that we will get it, whatever it is, that's actually not the case. The verse in James where it says, there's a verse in James where it says, you do not have because you do not ask. I referred to that previously. The next verse happens to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there is a prayer that will go unanswered. There is a thing you can ask for and you will not receive it. Now, we don't need to look that far. Now, today's passage is part of a longer sermon, which spans from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7. And you must read this passage with the whole context in mind. In just the prior chapter, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But it says, lay up yourself for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. For the Gentiles seek after these things. It says rather, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, the focus of Jesus in this sermon is obviously not on earthly things. Christ is rather turning, trying to shift your attention not to the earthly things, but onto higher things, onto the heavenly things. Now, of course, he isn't, however, neglecting the necessities of daily life because he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need these, the clothes that you wear, the food that you eat. So he teaches us to pray, and he teaches us to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my own kingdom, God's kingdom. Give us this daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, I have a close sister who lives overseas. She came over Christmas and stayed for the New Year's. And she's the quintessential starving artist she, she doesn't have much money to her name because she's trying to just go full in, grow, go for broke for her passion. And she came to Australia and was, she was sharing the ways that God was providing for her daily necessities. When she was here, she went, to window, she went window shopping, but she didn't have money. But she went into one of the cheap stores and saw a dress for $40. And at that moment, she really wanted that dress. And in passing, in her mind, in passing, Lord, I want this dress, but I don't have money. And not too long after, she receives a message, an Instagram message, have placing an order for a tote bag, that which she sells. And the amount for that tote bag was $40. This is only one of the ways that God provides for those. God takes care of his own. The prayer goes into forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Praying for reconciliation, 
between people. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which is for your own sanctification. Now, I've heard it many times, and I've used many of these excuses myself. I don't have time to pray. I've got, I've got too much work. I've got full-time work and part-time study and part-time ministry. Now, I've got this and I've got that. But let me tell you that God is available anywhere, not just in a church pew. He's available anywhere and especially anytime. Now, there's a store that's always available, and it seems to be everywhere, and it's always available anytime. Whatever time in the day, if you're, if you're hungry or you're thirsty, hangry, you can go to that store and buy something. Even if it passes midnight. I was at Stratfield two days ago. It was past midnight, and we wanted a drink. We went to this store, and you have been there before. It's, it's called 7-Eleven. You, you've been there? You run out of Panadol at night? Woolworths is closed, you go to 7-Eleven. You run out of food? It's not the most healthiest food available there, but you go to 7-Eleven. You can get some cut ramen. You run out of toilet paper? They sell it at 7-Eleven. Now, on the other hand, do you know what never closes to? God. You can go to God in prayer at any time, any day, whatever this condition or the circumstances. And the way that we remember this is this. We go to 7-Eleven. Not the store, 7-Eleven, but Matthew 7, 7-Eleven. Our worldly cravings and our selfish passions aren't actually at the forefront of God's mind. Now, those daily necessities, he knows you need, he knows you need them. God is concerned, however, about the things that were previously mentioned, which is his kingdom, about your hearts and the souls that are lost. There is a pool of untapped spiritual resources, and God is willing to pour it out on those people who simply ask, who seek and knock. Yet heaven's door goes neglected, not our daily necessities. Now, this should strangely excite us, though. Why? Because it tells us there's so much more to the Christian life. This isn't all that there is. Why waddle when we can fly? God is interested in what will truly benefit his children. So let's continue to read in verse 9. It says this, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then know, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There is a, there's a real personal intent behind the, the promise, the prescription and the principle. God is being referred to right now as Father. Now, we can take this for granted, or we can really examine. If you read Jesus' whole sermon in chapter 5 to 7, it continually refers to God, not as just God, but refers to Him as Father, or your Heavenly Father. 
Now, the sermon that Jesus is preaching is not just a set of teachings. Rather, this is how a child of God should be. A kingdom child is being described throughout these three chapters, 5 to 7. Now, this is one of the most profound truths of the Christian life that God has adopted a people for himself. But I tell you, it's not an easy concept to accept for everyone. Now, I've got an example. When I became a Christian myself, or when I became more serious about my faith, I met with other Christians at my school, and we began to pray for the school. It was only four of us. Now, there was one guy there who would continually pray and ask us to pray for his best friend. And so we would pray. So this person, who I wasn't really close to, was on my mind. And I happened to see him walking down a hill towards the buses where we would catch and go to the station. I saw him walking down the hill to the bus, and I decided to speed up to match his speed, catch up with him, and I was, I was probably a horrible um, evangelist, but I would, I think I had the right mindset. I would continually tell him, I remember we were walking down, and I would say, think about God as your father. And he would just brush me off and walk, continue to walk, ignore me. And I kept saying, you just need to think of him as your father. He's your father, Jonathan. He's your father. And then I think he got annoyed, he snapped, and looked me dead in the eye and said, I don't have a father. I've never grown up with one. I didn't know how to recover from that, so I stood there and he just walked off. There are many people who do not have good relationships with their dad. He left you. He disappeared. Most of my closest brothers and sisters come from broken relationships, broken families. Perhaps he passed away early. He didn't treat you right. And there are many other reasons why it would become difficult to see God as this figure, a father figure. The picture that Jesus paints here is that a father will not give his son a stone when he asks for bread. He will not give him a serpent when he asks for a fish. Now, it might seem like an exaggeration, but in those times, stones were flat and they looked like the flat bread that they had in the region. And some of the fish were eels that looked like snakes. But what Jesus is saying is that God will not give something that's fake. Not fake joy, fake power, fake influence. He is ready to give us the real deal, the satisfaction that truly is right for our souls, something that is truly good. A father is someone who hears and provides when a son or a daughter asks. A father is someone who is there when he is sought. And the father is someone who opens up that door when one of his children come knocking. Fathers tend to have this innate desire to provide for his children. So he directs an example to us. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, give him a stone? Of course, of course not. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Of course not. But Jesus continues to say in verse 11 this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So as you run your eyes across this verse, it's as if you were running your fingers across a smooth plane of wood and then you run it across a splinter. If you then, though, you are evil. This could have been our favorite Bible passage, but it says, you're evil. I I thought I was okay. I thought I was all right. Saying you're evil. Jesus calls the people evil. It was all going so well. The you is not directed to just one person. The you is actually directed to all that were listening, which was a crowd of people. And I'll extend the application to you folks, to me, to us. Christ is calling us evil. And what what does this mean? Well, it, it means what it means. Jesus is saying that human nature is corrupt. We aren't good people. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. None who seek after God, no, not one. He's saying that we are sinners. This also means there is no perfect father. From the very first father in human history to the fathers that we know today, none are good, no, not one. We might only seem good or think that we are okay because of our capacity to perhaps provide and love our children. These are good things. But it means human fathers have failings. They're weak. Some run away. Some are cowards. Some don't provide. But even humans who are evil and corrupt still want good things for their children. How much more will your father in heaven want good gifts, want to give good gifts to his children? And so verse 11 is saying this. A perfect father will give us so much more. Now I can provide when you ask, so keep asking. I can be found when you seek, so keep looking. I'll open up that door, so keep knocking. Now, from the stories I've heard about me as a little child, I think I was a pretty evil child. Um, I must have understood, though, the principle of if you ask continually, you will get it. If you keep seeking, you will find it. If you keep knocking on the door, then the door will be open. I have one vague memory, but before I went to preschool, I I had a go-to move when I would want something as we walked past the candy aisle or a toy section. I would just... You know, the trust fall, except there's no one to catch you, and you're a kid, so I guess not as much of a fall, but that's what I would do. Just... And I would writhe and I will wail until I got what I wanted. There was an incessant, continual, enduring, and earnest asking, seeking. One time, I hurt my head. And apparently after that, I would look and then go. Now, after that, after that, I would have less of these episodes because I started to get hit. Now, it's a profound thing that God would want people like us, evil people, 
to be called, for us to call him our father. Now let me reiterate this in light of what Christ has said. It's a profound thing that a good God is willing to be called father to a people who are evil. So how is this even possible? We can't take this for granted. One of the most profound truths of the Christian life is that God has adopted a people to be their father. We actually cannot understand prayer without this relationship with God. Why should God listen to you? What moral claim? What stature? What do you have about you that would grant you an audience with the King of Heaven? We have something now. It's that we are His children. This is a substance that should drive us to prayer. Not just because there's a promise. It's because you're children of God. Praying isn't just a religious activity, but it's the expression of our relationship with God. Adoption had a price, and we know it. It's the true Son of God died so that evil men will be called children of God. Our adoption is a good gift, and this gift is a gift that keeps on giving. If we press in prayer, there is a condition. Our Father in heaven will listen to his children's prayers. I kind of want to go back to that friend in high school that said, I don't have a father. Now, we, we prayed for him throughout the year 12 year, and then we didn't see any fruits. No one got converted. Now, I lost contact with that guy. I wasn't really close to him anyway. But about a year later after graduation, I randomly bumped into him at Strathfield. Um, do you guys know Noggy? There was a place called Noggy, served yogurt. It's uh, out of business now, but I randomly bumped in, into him there. And he looked different. He had, a, he had a big smile. Something was different. Something changed because he wasn't the same person as before. And he, the funny thing is that he was with my old church people. He actually became a Christian. He said to me that day, remember when you said to me, think about God as your father? I actually cried that day. I didn't know, but he, he cried. But then he went to a church camp, which happened to me, my old church, that I was, and he started seeking, and he prayed, and something happened. Because prayer makes things happen. He cried before because he didn't have a father in his life, but now he cried that night because he met his father in heaven. What was more funny was he's a Greek person. My old church is a Korean church. I don't know. God works in strange, very strange ways. Nonetheless, it gave me some assurance that though it seemed like fruitless work, prayer, our lunch times that were given up, God reminded me he answers prayer. So keep on. Whether big or small, when we pray for our daily necessities, he's listening. When it's something big, souls, maybe your father doesn't come to church, your parents. When we pray, things happen. God is always available. And the real question is, are you available? Are you availing yourself to the gifts of God through persistent, incessant, continual, annoying, intense 
earnest prayer. We can have a level of assurance and confidence when we approach him because he's our father. And he has given us a promise that he will respond. Remember, he's not a regular father. And so when you come to the door of heaven to knock, we can be confident that he's there. And though you may feel the many knocks go unheard and your prayers are spoken to no avail at times, then that is when you dig your heels and plant yourself because God is not far. For when you draw near to God, there is a promise that he will draw near to you. A praying church can accomplish much for the kingdom of God. We must pray. Why waddle when we can fly? Let's pray. Father, we draw near to you. Please grant us an understanding of our relationship with you that drives us into prayer. And as we find ourselves in our closets on our knees, please accompany us with your presence. Father, we ask at this moment that you make this a praying church. Make us praying Christians. Father, in this moment, please supply your spirit to us. I was told that I'm supposed to give you guys a prayer uh, topic. Uh, I looked onto your vision board and the third thing says to become a praying church. So I think that would be uh, a relevant prayer topic for us. So in this time, please pray and I'll finish us off in a few minutes. Foremost, we thank you for the good gifts of adoption. We thank you for the gift of relationship. May that drive us into fervent prayer. And may you continue to mold FLM into a praying church so that you'll be able to move, help us to rely on your power, and may your presence be found here, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.